0: Hello and welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I'm your host, Anna Rasquat paz In each episode of our show, we feature top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology, In this episode, Govindji, Professor Emeritus of Biochemistry, Biophysics, and Plant Biology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, talks about his life and career with Donald Ort, Professor of Plant Biology at the same university and Associate Editor of the Annual Review of Plant Biology. Professor Ort describes Professor Govindji as an icon of photosynthesis. And Professor Govindji discusses some of his most exciting discoveries on photosynthesis since he started investigating the matter with Robert Emerson in the 1950s. Professor Govindji also tells Professor Ort about his beginnings at the University of Allahabad in India and explains why he doesn't have a family name.
1: Well, hello, my name is Don Ort. I'm an associate editor of the interviews of plant biology and I make my living here at the University of Illinois uh, with the USDA Photosynthesis Research Service as well as a faculty member in plant biology. And it's really my huge pleasure to be here with my close colleague and friend for a long time, Professor Govindji. Kvinji is an emeritus professor in the departments of biochemistry um, and plant biology. And by any account, he's an icon of photosynthesis on this campus and internationally throughout the world. And what I hope, Gove, is that we can spend the next 30 minutes uh, talking about your career. I think that you have lived through some of the really exciting discoveries uh, in photosynthesis, and you have participated in them. And a number of them have occurred right here on this University of Illinois campus. Yeah. And maybe the way that we can start out is just talk a little bit about how you got into photosynthesis research. Did you come to graduate school at University of Illinois with the intent of doing photosynthesis research, or did you get involved once you were here?
2: Okay, I'll I'll answer you. (laughs) Well, I I became interested in photosynthesis when I was an undergraduate student, uh, undergraduate in University of Allahabad in India. And uh, there was a botany society, a botanical society, as they call it. And I ran a mock symposium on discoveries in photosynthesis. And in that, we had Joseph Pe- Priestley, who discovered important things. Oh, in, in the mock symposium. In somewhere. the mock symposium. And then there was Otto Warburg, and uh, there was uh, Jan Ingenhuis, and even Robert Emerson from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So um, we decided that all the kids and we were students and it was run by the students for the students and we decided each one of us will take part and somebody will become Emerson and we guessed what they would wear, we guessed how they look like and then we did a mock symposium and we talked about mm-hmm. their discoveries. And so uh, who were you? Uh, I think I was Robert Emerson. In fact I kind of forget whether I was Warburg or Emerson. I think I was Emerson. and. Uh, that went on very well, and the other kids liked it. Well, that was the end of it, and we had fun. Then I became a student of a man named Sri Ranjan, who had come from England uh, studying under Felix Frost Blackman. Blackman, known for the Blackman reaction in photosynthesis, the dark reactions mm-hmm. of So he had come, and uh, he said, You boys, that's the way he spoke, You boys, you go to the library and study, and tell me what you found. So I went to the library and I decided to write a paper on role of chlorophyll in photosynthesis. And in that, I studied Will Statter and many other top people and I discovered a paper by a man named Robert Emerson. Emerson and Lewis, 1943 paper. And I was fascinated with that paper because he had discovered a phenomenon called the red drop and I was just puzzled. And so I wrote to Robert Emerson and said, Dear Professor Emerson, I would like to work with you to find out about this red drop in photosynthesis. And he wrote back and he said, Well, uh, Illinois is a flat land. There are no mountains. And you are coming from India. He thought I'm from the hills of the (laughs) Himalayas. And therefore you may not like it here. However, if you really want to come here, I'll be delighted uh, to help you. Get admission. So and gave. so,
1: what year was that that you came here then?
2: Nineteen fifty-six. Nineteen fifty-six. I came here in September, nineteen fifty-six, and I came by train from New York to Urbana. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, Robert Emerson was here. Who else was here that was involved uh, in photosynthesis? There was
2: Eugene Rabinovich, a great man, uh, and the two together ran the photosynthesis lab photosynthesis project that was called directly under the Graduate College. Yes, so that's how I came.
1: Well, I know there's a lot of people fascinated by the fact that you go by just a single name. And in fact, uh, Sabine Marchant at University uh, of at UCLA told me just very recently that one of her graduate students got a signed Z-, Z scheme poster from you, and she saw your single name and said, "Oh, he has only one name. He's like Madonna." <laughs> yeah, I have that happened
2: to me. People have said that. So
1: I, I suspect that the reason that you have a single word moniker is probably somewhat different from the reason that Madonna has. Of course. Could you tell us why yours is just Sure, a single sure.
2: Word? Well, you see, uh, in India, uh, for some reason, uh, there were distinction between different people. There were four castes, uh, so Brahmins, were the higher caste. Uh, they were the only one to learn things from books, education. They're the priest class. So my father, whose name was very long name, Visheshwar Prashad Asthana. So Asthana was, I don't know how to say it even uh, because so long ago, uh, was his family name. And they, along with many other people who were mainly educationists, decided this is all not good, and we must do something about it. So they, they had a, a group of uh, reformist Hindu group who decided, uh, let us drop our family names because that indicates our family heritage and therefore the caste we mm-hmm. come from. So he dropped his family name, Asthana.
1: Was that before you were born?
2: I, I, I think so. I, I never knew that. So what happens is he, he had a prasad as his middle name, so no problem with him. But the children were not given a middle name. I was given the name Govinji, So I was left with one name, but nobody bothered mm-hmm. until I come here and go to the University of Illinois Administration Building. And I said, I have a fellowship. I, I came on a fellowship, University of Illinois Fellowship, and a Fulbright uh, travel grant. So he says, what is your name? I said, Govindji. And he says, it starts with what, G? He said, yes. So he looks, he said, you have no fellowship. I said, what do you mean no fellowship? Here is my paper. And he looks at it and says, oh, Mr. G. Are you with the J, not with the G, Because the Govindji was split in two parts. <laughs> oh, I see. And so I said, sir, I have one name only. That's a mistake. Put it together. So that day on, when I arrived here, it became... Single name with G, part of Govind, so Govindji.
1: And so I suspect this is not the only trouble that you've had having a single name for oh, your uh,
2: Every every day I now travel as Fnu Govindji, first name unknown Govindji. Mm-hmm. I travel as Elaina Govindji. I travel as Govindji Govindji, Professor Govindji, Mister, and I'm in trouble because at the airports these days your passport must match your ticket, and my passport is Govindji alone.
1: And so for the rest of your family, Govindji has become the family name.
2: Yes, my son, who is a professor at Berkeley, he writes Sanjay Govindji. My daughter works at IBM, writes Anita Govindji.
1: So um, back to the science. Oh, and, and so um, it seems to me that one of the really exciting discoveries that you were involved with, you've already brought up, and that is the discovery of two light reactions. That you know, That is that there are... Two light reactions in photosynthesis that that partner together to oxidize water work in series and to reduce nadp and, and virtually co2 and and so you lived through all that, and a lot of that happened here at the University of illinois you've already brought up one thing, and maybe this is the place to start the the red drop phenomena okay is this the place to start Yeah sure so tell us what the red drop is and and what it meant and what it didn't mean and when it happened
2: okay well. The experiment was done on a green alga, chlorella. And And it was done by Emerson? By Emerson and Lewis. And Lewis was a physicist and Emerson was a biologist. And they did together, did the work at Stanford, Carnegie Institute of Washington. And they started studying the effect of different colors of light on photosynthesis. So let's say chlorophyll absorbs red light and blue light. And so the expectation was... That your photosynthesis rate of photosynthesis is parallel the absorption of chlorophyll, mm-hmm. and so if you divide the oxygen evolved by the number of photons absorbed or intensity, as you like to call it, uh, then you should get a flat line. Because if anything absorbs light, it does photosynthesis. Therefore, you divide one by the other, you should have a flat line, and it should, and that is equivalent to what we call quantum yield. If you divide number of oxygen by number of photons of stars, quantum. Heat. And Emerson and Lewis found, oh, no, it, it stops at where exactly the peak of absorption in the red of chlorophyll is. It started dropping. So, so the amount
1: def- of oxygen that you were getting with red light was less than what was expected. Uh,
2: beyond 685, let's say far red light, 700 nanometer light. It and was so it was less. called the red it drop, And they didn't understand it at all. And that's why I was puzzled about it. Mm-hmm. What is it? why is it so i asked emerson emerson was puzzled too but while i was here in urbana as a student taking courses in physics chemistry and math emerson was in the dark room doing these experiments to find out and so that led to emerson enhancement right exactly and so what was that oh what that was very a uh, simple experiment that he did he said well if the efficiency is low, can I increase the efficiency by adding another color of light? Mm-hmm. So in, in the green alga chlorella, he had this far red light, 700 nanometer light, and he measured the rate of oxygen evolution in that light. And then he had 650 nanometer light, which is sort of reddish-orange light, uh, more red, and he measured the rate of oxygen evolution. And he got, let's say, two in one and ten in the other. Then he decided to add the two lights together and instead of 12, he had 15 or 20, whatever the number was, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm just. I know. I and so the number. two
1: colors of light were more than added in right? so additive. it enhanced photosynthesis. Exactly.
2: So that was the synergistic effect of light and it was discovered while I was actually I was totally unaware of the discovery because I was taking all these... Courses from all these professors in this university. Yeah,
1: and so how how did Emerson enhancement um, and the and the explanation of the red drop lead to the discovery of these two photosystems operating in series?
2: Okay, so what he did is then he he, he decided to vary the wavelength of one of the lights, mm-hmm. and so he kept the far red light, the seven hundred nanometer light, fixed. And let's say the rate was 2. And then he varied the wavelength of the other light, and then he measured what is called the action spectrum of the effect. And so he found that that spectrum matched that of chlorophyll B in chlorella. It matched that of fucoxanthin, another pigment in the diatom, uh, because they're all, you know, brown pigment. And, and like that, in the red alga, it matched that of another pigment, the red pigment called phycorythrin. He said, aha, what it means is that one reaction is being run by chlorophyll A, and another reaction is run by another pigment. And when the both are excited, you have full photosynthesis. So he got this idea, and he presented it in 1958 at a conference, which I attended. Uh, you know, I was not still doing anything uh, much, <laughs> and so he said two pigment systems two light reactions must be the reason for this phenomenon
1: and so at the same time as i understand it there was this controversy going on about uh... the so-called quantum yield of photosynthesis with some very famous people saying that it was four and some very or quantum requirement and some very famous people emerson saying it was eight or more and so that eight would favor two photosystems and the four just a single photo.
2: Absolutely. So the other famous person was Otto Warburg, the Nobel Laureate in 1931 in physiology or medicine. And he was the professor of Robert Emerson in the sense that Emerson got his PhD under Warburg in Berlin. So there was this connection of student-professor connection. And here's a student finding 8 to 12 photons of light needed to get an oxygen, and Warburg finding three to four four photons, so there's a big controversy and rage across the whole world essentially, but the major people who were uh, favoring Warburg was an American named Dean Burke at NIH, and the people who measured what Emerson was measuring was people in Wisconsin, and so therefore there was this controversy ranging, and it was a question, who was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is very clear to me that in my PhD thesis and my wife, who also had her PhD with, in the same department, uh, was eight to 12. But then Warburg, when Emerson died, which you have not, we have not um, discussed that, uh, Warburg started telling people around the world, problem is solved, he said. <laughs> okay, and so Rajni and I, Rajni is my wife, Uh, Then we made measurements in exactly the identical conditions of Warburg, and Warburg was wrong.
1: But Warburg never accepted that, is that correct? And
2: Warburg never accepted that. In fact, in 1969, he wrote a paper saying he measured 12 photons per oxygen, but he said it is wrong to calculate it this way, and he invented very complicated means to say that, yes, you see 12, but it is really 4.
1: So... Something above eight
2: was the right answer as it turned out. Absolutely.
1: So I guess a big change in your career was when Emerson died in 1959. And so maybe you could say a little bit about his death and uh, how it changed your career.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Emerson was a wonderful scientist and wonderful person. I've
1: seen pictures of him, he was a very tall... Very tall, tall, he
2: was very athletic, he he was uh, in the ski club here, Uh, not the ski club, the ice skating rink, he was a master there. Uh, He was just, he was, you know, from New England, uh, Easterner (laughs) for us, Mm -hmm. the Midwest people. But he was a wonderful person, he took care of us, he, he even uh, sidetracked it. He even made breakfast at my birthday in the laboratory. So this is the kind of person he was. So we were shattered. Uh, he died on February 4th, 1959 in a plane crash, uh, which went into the East River. Uh, he was going to Harvard for a meeting. So we were shattered. And uh, Eugene Rubenovich, who was a physicist, or physical chemist, really, uh, was the other professor, as we mentioned his name before. And we thought we'll go back to India. We came from India, from Allahabad, as I mentioned before. And uh, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Govindji, Rajni, would you like to be my student? And uh, this was uh, surprising because we were biologists and and then we didn't accept it instantly. And he knew why. (laughs) So then he immediately said, you don't have to change your thesis topic you do whatever you wish to do and that will be fine with me Mm -hmm. and that's the day then we started asking important questions and that was Emerson had said chlorophyll B does one reaction chlorophyll A does the other reaction now this ran into total it was contrary to the work of Doisens in the Netherlands who said Every photon going chlorophyll B ends up 100 percent chlorophyll A, and therefore Emerson could not be right in his explanation of. His so
1: when chlorophyll B absorbs light, it transfers it to A before it does photochemistry.
2: Right.: That was Doyson's PhD. thesis in 1952. And so Emerson's idea ran contrary to it. And I used to discuss this with Emerson going because we used to walk together. Because I lived on Green Street, and it was in the way for his house on Main Street. And whenever I say anything, he said, Govindji, experiments dictate what I conclude. And I'm listening. So I did the experiment. And the experiment was, I ran the action spectrum of the Emerson effect with 10 nanometer apart wavelengths. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that chlorophyll A was in the same system that chlorophyll B was. And so we published a paper in science Uh, that was part of my PhD thesis.
1: But you didn't publish that with Emerson?
2: No, we couldn't. And I wanted to put his name, actually. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) And what happened was, Emerson was so careful. He would not let any paper go out of him unless he had checked every word in it. Which means, people said, he he will ra- rise from a grave if he, something was wrong in your sentences. So it, we were advised not to put Emerson's name on the paper. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it was. Rabinovich's name is on the paper.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. So let's jump forward a few decades. And so. Uh, Another thing that you've spent a fair amount of your career on is um, is the water oxidation process, the water being the primary electron donor for photosynthesis and um, maybe you can tell us a bit about that. I mean you got into it in a little bit of an odd way and
2: yeah well uh. <sighs> Oxygen evolution, as you just said, is the most important thing. I mean, we are alive <laughs> because of photosynthesis, oxygening photosynthesis. So my first interest, right away, after everything was solved in the two pigment system hypothesis, and we did a lot more work that we had time to speak here, and we discovered, you know, two light effect in chlorophyll fluorescence and so on and so forth. So I said, let us look at oxygen side. And we did many things. We tried to invent a new method, nuclear magnetic resonance, proton NMR, to look at manganese. We tried to make antibodies against the oxygen evolving. We did so many. We looked at the chloride that works there uh, with a new method of NMR again. But none of this seemed to lead us to anywhere except to say, okay, yes, there is uh, oxygen evolution and manganese is changing and so on and so forth. And but so
1: why was manganese important?
2: Well, manganese clearly was shown to be without manganese, oxygen evolution doesn't take place, and only when you have manganese in, uh, then oxygen evolution takes place. So that's why we were interested in manganese. But now what happens uh, is, again, Warburg comes in the picture. Warburg said, aha, oxygen doesn't come from water, but oxygen comes from bicarbonate, from CO2. So I said, Oh, that's interesting. That's another way to get into it. Mm-hmm. And Alan Stemmler was my PhD student. And so it was decided. Actually, he was.
1: And so this uh, was like in the 70s, 1970s? This was
2: in 70s, yeah, we, because we have jumped many years. <laughs> and so we decided to look for oxygen evolution through bicarbonate. See if bicarbonate was, if Warburg was right here. He was wrong on the quantum wheel, as we just discussed. So we discovered that when bicarbonate is absent, you see, the oxygen evolution goes through a, a clock, a period, four clock, with the manganese changes. Mm-hmm. And Bessel Koch had invented some names, S states. It goes through four states. It's like a clock with four, period four. So we decided to look at that. We had no machines, so we went to Berkeley. Alan Stemmler actually went to Berkeley, and we made the experiment. And lo and behold, there was a big effect on the, what we call the estates.
1: So removing bicarbonate stalled the estates? It
2: actually made it very slow. So, so I said, oh, that may be, but it turns out that process includes not only the water side, but also includes what is called the reducing side of what we call the photosystem too is the system that is involved in oxygen evolution. And Bessel Koch was the... Uh, we sent to the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences this paper, and Koch was the uh, communicator, mm-hmm. communicated. And he said, and we, I agreed with him, that you cannot tell. And then came another student, I would not mention the names of the students because it will take too much time, but they are all there. They are the ones who did all the work. So the other students showed, oh, clearly it is like the herbicide. A herbicide like diuron kills the plant by blocking the reducing side of photosynthesis.
1: And so when you remove bicarbonate, it mimic the effect of... It mimics of
2: our- the effect of diuron. Said, so, oh... The effect is. And from that day on, it was 1975, 25 years of my life with eight PhD students, we have worked on this process and we have convincingly shown that bicarbonate definitely is needed for the reduction of plasticonol to plasticonol. And many experiments, biochemistry, biophysics, molecular biology, using side directed mutants, herbicide resistant mutants, everything clearly puts And what is now very exciting to me, that in Beijing, uh, there was a last, this summer, last Photosynthesis Congress, uh, Professor Shen from Japan came and presented his new Photosystem two structure uh, at 1.9 angstrom resolution. And there is clearly a bicomet ion sitting on between these two quinones called Q and QB and there's a non in the middle, and it's sitting right on the non iron, And therefore it is now, um, makes me very happy that uh, our results are confirmed in a way, and now a new set of experiments certainly are open, and I wish I was an assistant professor writing grants and getting on to the amino acids that are near there to mutate them and to um, study the process. So that's where we are.
1: So now we know where it is. Do we understand the mechanism by which it interferes or it it facilitates electron transfer between QA and QB?
2: Absolutely. Actually, those are my experiments uh, with my PhD students that I didn't describe to you. First of all, it is clear that when you remove the biogramma, the protonation means proton movement uh, in the site of the conone which is called QB, the second conone is not there it disappears and we did this work in germany with the friend wolfgang Mm junger and then we have studied the entire process what happens you give one flash of light one electron moves then you give second flash of light second electron moves and it is called the two electron gate and in 1976 already i discovered uh, that its effect is on the two electron gate where protons come in so then there were other students who did very thorough investigations on this, and it's clear that one of the functions is somehow to aid in the protonation of the plástico canola. Uh, but it's still a not a proven mechanism, and that's why we need to do more work.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's for, the, for your students in the next generation to do it then, huh? Yeah. Well, before we run out of time this afternoon, I'm dying to ask the question... What's the most exciting thing that you've done in photosynthesis research in your career?
2: Well, <laughs> this is a very difficult question to well, answer. Pick, <laughs> pick one, then. Yeah, I will. I, I tell you, I'll say something here. I say that what really uh, has let's say, made me feel, uh, it made me to play, so to say, with plants is the light that comes out of the plant. I will not talk about much about that. But the light, the plants give off light. They give off what we call fluorescence. And then there are many, many things that they do which makes them give off light. Okay. But they
1: give off light, they've absorbed light and they give some of that light They give
2: some of the light back and there are various types of light they give back. And I've studied that. So my main love with plants is to play with the light that the plants are giving up. But I won't talk about that. Okay. But I will just tell you <laughs> one thing that really fascinated me, and that is, what is the first step of photosynthesis? See, light is absorbed, mm-hmm. as we discussed, and then it is transferred to the various chlorophyll pigments, and then the chemistry takes place. So that is the area that really fascinated me most,
1: so there's, there's these two kind of pigments, the, the antenna pigment, and there's a lot of them right. right? And they're funneling...
2: Funneling that energy uh, to the reaction center where the actual photochemistry takes place. So the, one of the first things I played with was what is the mechanism of the energy movement? And I won't talk about it. <laughs> and we went down to f- liquid helium temperature, so room temperature to liquid helium temperature, and we found the mechanism. And then... And, and so
1: that, that was the discovery of Forrester energy transfer
2: Forrester energy transfer, and we In believe energy. yeah, and we believe that that our experiments is consistent with that, but that doesn 't mean that 's the only mechanism right. that 's one of the mechanisms. Then the question was, where the photochemistry starts. that was the first step that was the most exciting what 's the first step? Is it An excited state of a molecule going to singlet state, what is called the singlet state, or going to the triplet state. Because people used to think that triplet lives long and therefore chemistry starts. Mm -hmm. But if the process goes to the singlet state, it will be very fast. And if it goes to the triplet state, it will be very slow. So we I, I we went to Argonne National Laboratory.
1: And so, what years are we talking about? Well,
2: now we started in the 70s, but the actual final result on the oxygen system, because you mentioned the oxygen, so I stick with that, uh, was done in the 80s. Okay, and uh, there we discovered that the it was. 1 to 3 picoseconds, I mean 10 to minus 12 seconds, was the charge separation. The chlorophyll...
1: So after the absorption of light, you got charge separation in 1 to 3 picoseconds after the absorption of light.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, Actually, we're now are using the reaction center itself in these experiments the, because, you see, the transfer time uh, of the system uh, is avoided by using the okay, reaction So
1: you, you excite right into the chlorophyll in right the reaction the center.
2: center. So 1 to 3 picosecond was our result. And uh, the reason it was so exciting because uh, another Nobel laureate, George Porter in England, published papers at uh, 20 picoseconds and not 3 picoseconds. And uh, we, we just had to sit in the meetings and look like as if we, are, we don't know anything, you know, we are just little people. But it's proven that 1 to 3 picoseconds is the correct number, and the 20 se- picosecond was a charge transfer. And, uh, because even in the reaction center there is a charge transfer, I mean uh, not charge, energy transfer, mm-hmm. excitation energy transfer. So they were measuring the energy transfer time, and we were measuring the charge. Step. And we could measure that the fucoxanthin uh, is the acceptor of the electron, and, and chlorophyll the P680 is the donor. So we measured that, and we are very happy. And Maslowski has his 60th birthday, and we went there and celebrated it.
1: And so by showing that it was this rapid, you proved it had to be from a singlet state, not from the longer-lived triplet state. Yeah,
2: but, you know, it was not even said in the paper. It it was so obvious. Uh, That was the question that was in my mind, and I felt satisfied. Everybody already believed that it was from the singlet state for many other reasons. But to me, this was personally to me. It was.
1: So it sounds like you've made a bit of a career arguing with the Nobel laureates in photosynthesis. I mean, I think there have been three, right? And so you've argued with two of them. What about Calvin? Did you argue with him?
2: No, uh, I argued with Warburg, uh, argued with Porter. But Porter was a very nice person, by the way. Wonderful time. He's really a gentleman. Uh, no, I'd never argue with Calvin, but what I'm arguing with is after his death. Uh, he is gone. But uh, um, another man named Andy Benson worked with him, and I'm trying to see what Benson did uh, that Calvin didn't recognize.
1: So you've spent um, probably the last 10 years dedicating most of your scholarship to the history of photosynthesis, and I think it's fair to say you're the, the renowned expert in that area in the world right now, and, and probably forever. Um, what, what kind of activities do you, have you been doing and do you foresee doing in, in this arena?
2: Well, there, there, there are two things I am doing. One is uh, trying to make sure that uh, people who pass away while I'm alive, <laughs> uh, they get recognized for their discoveries, and their discoveries are put in perspective uh, of the field. That's one thing, uh, doing tributes to people and helping. The other, of course, is photosynthesis education. And, and we're doing that by uh, producing uh, uh, what we call the Z scheme of the two-electron transfer scheme we talked about and distributing it free around the world. Uh, even uh, in China, we distributed many hundreds of copies in India, and uh, we're thinking of sending it to Africa. Uh, so that's, that's uh, I'm helped by uh, a dentist, uh, Dr. White, uh, in this in that game but also we're doing books and uh, advances in photosensitive respiration is now in volume 34 and uh, it's going sp- going well mm-hmm. and just one volume is being uh, uploaded uh, on the molecular biology side of it uh, this month and another one will be in overall process uh, next month mm-hmm. so that keeps me feel involved and i feel that i'm doing some service mm-hmm. uh,
1: well, Gavinji, you must then also be great, grateful and to Annual Reviews because they're, they're kind of doing the same sort of thing across the whole area of the scholarship that, uh, that they represent, that they're doing these kinds of interviews.
2: Uh, absolutely. In fact, I, I, I feel honored. I feel honored to be asked by Annual Reviews uh, to do this with you because I always looked upon it as uh, something very high up that you perhaps uh, never reach. Uh, a stage where you may be asked to uh, do this so I feel really honored that I've been asked by this wonderful most exciting and uh, I read I read every one of them uh, especially the yeah. photosynthesis and plant mean. biology yes. uh, yes. Yes.
1: well on behalf of the interviews I really want to thank you for giving your time and, and reliving a you know at least this glimpse of your career with us and uh, You know, I hope the people that view this video um, feel that they've gotten to know you a little bit um, and, uh, and have some sense of the evolution of the discovery of the photosynthetic process. And so I thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Don.
0: You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rascoit-Paz. Thanks for listening.